Welcome back, friends. Welcome back to the Corbett Report. I'm James Corbett of CorbettReport.com, and yes, I did break my glasses while camping with my family this past weekend, so these are my old glasses until my new glasses are ready. <laughs> that being said, you are tuned into Solutions Watch, that deprogram where week after week after week we look at ways that you can improve your life and change the world for the better. And as you know by now, sometimes we look at the very specific technical things that can be done, such as, as we talked about with Bob Anderson last week, gaining greater energy independence through solar power and other such methods. This week we're going to look at the other side of the coin, the big picture abstract philosophical ideas about how we can change the world. And on that note, I want to pick up from on something that I hope you will have noticed that I remarked on in last week's conversation on the Grand Theft World podcast, where we were talking about some of the bigger issues that we are facing as a species. The key to this is to stop following the narratives that are being set for us and start creating our narrative. And people don't understand. And, and that was actually the best right. piece of feedback. I got a lot of good feedback from that course I just taught on, on media history. Um, but the best piece of feedback I got was, you know, I've thought about this before and I've read some of these sources, but I've never really, it's never really struck me just how important the story, the stories that we're being fed is to our understanding of the world and to everything that that makes us who we are and what we're going to do in the world. When we start creating our own narratives rather than simply accepting the ones that are given to us. I think that's when we start to build real autonomy. Narratives? Storytelling? What are you talking about, James? When the super gophers with their fancy titles gather in their big conference halls to decide how to divvy up the world, they're not talking about storytelling and narratives, are they? Excellencies, dear participants, what pleasure to be together again and to design the future. We are here to develop the great narrative, a story for the future. And I would like to refer to His Highness, Sheikh Mohammed, Bin Rashid Al Maktoum, the Vice Chairman and Prime Minister of the United Arab Emirates and the ruler of Dubai, who told us that in order to shape the future, you have first to imagine the future, you have to design the future, and then you have to execute. Oh, that's right. That's exactly what they're talking about. Storytelling and narrative. The Klaus Schwabs and the Mohammed Abdullah Al-Gargawis and the other would-be controllers of this new world order do spend their time thinking about the narratives that shape society and how to bring those narratives about, to execute them, to use that word. Uh, and so full credit for digging up this clip in this conference should go to uh, Derek Brose, who brought it to the attention of myself and his audience in general in a recent article that was written uh, and posted up on the lastamericanvagabond.com a couple of weeks ago, The Great Narrative and the Metaverse Part 1, A Dystopian Vision of the Future. And Derek Brose 
starts that by setting the scene for what it is that we just witnessed there, that bizarre scene. He says, As the World Economic Forum prepares for the return of their annual meeting in Davos, Switzerland, the International Organization for Public-Private Cooperation is launching the next phase of the Great Reset Agenda, the Great Narrative. On November 11th and 12th, the World Economic Forum held a two-day meeting called The Great Narrative in Dubai, United Arab Emirates, to discuss longer-term perspectives and co-create a narrative that can help guide the creation of a more resilient, inclusive, and sustainable vision for our collective future. The WEF gathered futurists, scientists, and philosophers from around the world to dream up their vision of how to reset the world and imagine what it would look like in the next 50 years. The discussions will be collected and published in a forthcoming book, The Great Narrative, in January 2022. And I'm sure we're all on our edge of the edge of our seats looking forward to that book, aren't we? Well, maybe for its value in understanding the propaganda that we're about to be subjected to, but uh, I wouldn't necessarily recommend it as light bedtime reading, but maybe that's the point. I, I, once again, I will commend that full article to your attention. I think Derek does a great job of not only describing what is happening there, but also setting it in its proper context, the broader story of what it is that we are being steeped into and how that is happening and for what purpose. And also, I'll direct your attention to a, an interview that Ryan Christian of The Last American Vagabond did with Derek on this subject a week or two ago very important conversation in order to understand this extremely important fundamental concept that has been occluded from our attention or has been dismissed as woo-woo or that's not important precisely because the would-be controllers of society know just how important the narrative mechanism is for shaping society. This is, for one in one seemingly trivial example, this is the reason that advertisers do not sit there and list all of the merits of their particular product. Here are the functions, and here are the various things that it can do, and here are the various functions of the competing product, and let's do some statistical and scientific analysis, and you see our product is slightly better in this regard, so we, we recommend this product. No, of course not. They show you the guy getting into the SUV and driving out into the country roads, kicking up dust with the, the cool soundtrack track in the background, or they show the guy opening the beer, and suddenly he's on a, on a beach, and there's a party with bikini-clad girls everywhere, or whatever it is, the, the ad will make you laugh, it, it might even make you cry, and then they bind that emotional resonance up with their product in order to sell it to you. This is not a logical argument that they're making, and it's not just advertising that does that. It, this is a well-known way to shape people's perceptions of the world, and thus to shape their behavior, thereby actually changing the world. This is a point that I've tried to stress time and time again throughout my work over the years, perhaps most uh, most to the point, most uh, on the nose, in a an article that I wrote one year ago in November of 2020 called How to Save the World in One Easy Step, which starts by posing the question, pop quiz, what's the most powerful weapon ever invented? And I go through some elaboration of some potential answers to that question and then start to introduce the subject and eventually arrive at this point in the article where I say, story is the most powerful weapon. Narrative, ideas presented in such a way as to provoke certain thoughts or actions. With a gun, you can kill a man. With a bomb, you can kill a family. With a nuke, you can kill. You can level a city. But with a story, you can control the world. 
This is how billions of people around the world have been locked up as prisoners in their own homes this past year. Not because there is an inexhaustible supply of police thugs standing on every street corner ready to shoot anyone who steps outside of their home, but because a narrative has been constructed such that the vast majority want to stay home. Give a society the right narrative, and they will gladly lock themselves inside their own prison and hand over the key. This is why billions around the globe are prepared to roll up their sleeves for an experimental unproven vaccine for a disease with a 99% survival rate. The masses have been given a narrative whereby this vaccine is going to deliver them from a deadly plague. It doesn't matter what counter-evidence is presented to them. The ones who take the vaccine are the righteous heroes of this story, and those who question the vaccines are the villains. And... Lo and behold, here we are in 2021, and Noam Chomsky and others are telling you exactly that. Oh, these horrible, evil, self-centered people who won't take the experimental medical intervention, they, they deserve to be shunned onto some island somewhere, and how they live or die is up to them, whatever. We'll, we'll forget about them. They are the villains in this story, and as we see, it's being ramped up and up and up, so that the narrative is being inserted into the population right now, and try logically arguing against that narrative. Go on, try. I'll, I'll hold my breath and wait for that. One eternity later. Oh, I died. Um, yeah, the people who argue about, oh, well, I mean, look at this chart. This chart shows that mask mandates have no effect on spreading of any disease. Or, oh, look at this. The, the, the vaccination rates are directly tied to surges in what we perceive as COVID. Look at that. Amazing, huh? You could point statistical analyses and charts out till you are blue in the face, and it will make zero difference in the minds of 99% of the population precisely because they have a narrative by which they understand any piece of evidence that is presented to them. This is something that, of course, I went over in Propaganda Watch last year on uh, same facts, opposite conclusions, an extremely important thing to understand. You can present the data to someone, but if they have a narrative perception, they have a story in their minds about what is taking place, they will be able to fit that data into their story almost every single time, even if it's exactly opposite to what you perceive to be reality. So this is why it is so important to understand, because people will argue till they're blue in the face and present data and evidence as if that is going to fundamentally change people's way of perceiving the world. It is not. But having said that, this is not problems watch, this is solutions watch. So the question becomes, what do we do with this insight? What can we actually do to help shape people's perceptions in a different way? And I think the most basic, the most obvious way of understanding that in this question of narratives and creating narratives in order to change the, change the, the, the world and the future is through the most literal, basic interpretation of that idea, narrative. What is a narrative? Uh, it's a story. Like, like fiction, right? Like poetry, whatever. That The ways that people have communicated and embedded ideas for thousands of years, some of those ideas have persisted in our un general understanding for thousands of years, precisely because they were embedded in stories that then get remembered. 
uh, the human species has been telling stories to each other for umpteen generations, sitting around campfires or whatever. And it, it's not just because we are storytelling species, that is an extremely important part of what we do, but because we embed information in those stories. We understand the world through those stories. And we often think of stories when we are struggling to understand a concept. Um, how many times have you tried to explain something to someone and it's it's red pill, blue pill. Where did that come from? Oh, the Matrix. Or it's, oh, it's Cypher in the Matrix saying, I know this steak isn't real, but mm, it tastes so good anyway. Uh, uh, it's the ring, the ring of power. Uh, if you put the ring on, it will corrupt you. All of these ideas that we have embedded and we can use as the cultural touchstone to make people understand what it is we're saying. Um, it's an extremely important concept. So I would... I would suggest that the entire film literature in the New World Order series is obviously relevant to this discussion. So if you haven't been through that podcast, I would suggest you would do so. There are 42 episodes going through different uh, pieces of literature, different piece, uh, pieces of cinema, examining those stories for the way that they not only reveal things about the world, but then also shape our perceptions about the world and how we can change it. I will specifically commend, uh, in this regard, episode 42, the most recent edition of that series, where I looked at Aesop's fables. That's right, like, I hope every good father out there, I do read to my children every night before they go to sleep, and they love books and they love reading, or they love being read too at this point, so that's good, and I enjoy doing it. But in fact, it's maybe more than just enjoyment. Sometimes there is real wisdom and knowledge to be gained from children's bedtime story time, especially when we're talking about something like Aesop's fables. Now, of course, this does represent, in a translated and truncated form and designed for children with nice illustrations, but it does represent knowledge, wisdom, that has been around for thousands of years, 2,500 or so years, if we are to believe Aesop was an actual historical personage, and all of the fables that have been attributed to him really were written by that historical personage. I don't know. I mean, we're not here to adjudicate that today. But at any rate, this has been around for thousands and thousands of years, and uh, does represent very timeless knowledge that I think is still relevant to us today. And as I was going through and reading this uh, to my children, I did notice that there were a number of fables here that really do pertain to our situation <laughs> that we still find ourselves in all these thousands of years later. So I thought I would share some of these with you and maybe just cogitate a little bit on how they reflect our current reality. And I wanted to start with the fable of the cat and the mice. A sneaky old cat heard that a certain house was quite overrun with mice. So she hired herself... Now, I hope you will go and watch or rewatch that edition of Film Literature in the New World Order if you haven't yet done so, because I think it does demonstrate the point quite effectively that these tales, which even if you have not read Aesop's Fables, you know these tales. These tales have persisted for thousands of years, and perhaps more importantly, the moral of the story has persisted for thousands of years. What is the moral we're supposed to take away from this tale about foxes and whatever? Uh, there's always 
there's always a, a cultural understanding, a piece of wisdom that is embedded in these stories that are then, as I say, have been demonstrably passed from generation to generation for thousands of years to arrive to us in the present day. That is a very, very effective way of distilling and uh, passing along shared cultural wisdom and understanding. It's also, of course, an exceptionally powerful way of changing people's perceptions and understanding and thus changing the world. If you can embed something in a narrative that then gets passed along, then, well, there you go. You've embedded a new cultural understanding that will resound through the ages, right? And you think this is a power that the would-be rulers of the New World Order are not actively using at every stage? You don't think they, they spend millions upon millions, billions in the aggregate on the entertainment industry every year because, oh, it's just, it's just bread and circuses to distract the public? Or do you think they're doing it because they understand this is the most effective way of shaping people's perceptions of the world? I tend to think it's the latter. And that's exactly why we neglect or poo-poo this incredibly powerful tool to our own detriment. And this is why throughout the years I have consistently stated I very much support the people who are able to embed this information in different forms, in different stories, um, whether quite literal, writing, of course, writing fiction or epic poems or whatever. But of course, that could take any number of different forms. Uh, a painting can tell a story. A sculpture can tell a story. A song can tell a story. That is one way of embedding narrative and sharing cultural wisdom. So, I, of course, I absolutely support all the artists who are embedding this information in some form in their art, and it doesn't always have to be banging people over the head. <laughs> Here is the message, and this is what it's about. It doesn't have to be quite that obvious and literal, but hey, sometimes that works too. Um, I mean, think of any number of examples. Any number of examples will spring to mind, but Animal Farm or 1984 or Lord of the Rings or whatever it is. And then there are more subtle ways of embedding understanding as well. And um, obviously I don't need to elaborate on that. But this is the point at which we arrive at the bigger picture of what's going on here. Because as I say, nar narrative as story in the most literal sense, like telling a story, is the most basic and straightforward way we can understand this. But there is a, a bigger picture here. There's a broader understanding. And uh, Derek Brose points to it in his article, for example, when he mentions meta-narratives. And finally, <laughs> after all these decades, <laughs> my undergrad degree is going to pay off because I have read the post-structuralist philosophers and I have studied literary theory and I did carry around Jean-Francois Lyotard's postmodern condition uh, to, to my classes back in my undergrad days. So this is, this is actually something I am qualified to talk about. <laughs> Although I probably won't in this particular episode because we're concentrating on narratives today, but I, I sh probably should do a more philosophical deep dive into the question of meta-narratives and all of this. It's, it's a fascinating topic, but long story short, a meta-narrative is a grand narrative of, that places our lives into a meaning and a context that gives, that gives meaning to our lives, to the world, to our understanding of who we are and our place in the world. That is the meta-narrative that guides our actions. We all have some big story about what it is that's happening, why we're here, what, 
what is happening to us and what are we doing and what is our role in all of this, whether that's a consciously formulated meta narrative, the one that we could list out and say, oh, this is this is the big picture, or whether that's just the sort of unspoken, unthought of assumptions that guide our actions. It is there, the meta narratives that shape our lives and our understanding. And it is exceptionally important to understand that level of what is going on as well, because shaping the meta-narrative, of course, is the ultimate point of this. Yes, embedding a story or a narrative here or there in the cultural consciousness can be an effective way of passing down this or that particular understanding, but in order to shape the world at large, you have to control the meta-narrative. And what do you think the Great Reset is? It is a meta-narrative. Here is the meta-narrative. We've reached this crisis point uh, because of this and this and this, and this and this and this is happening as a result of this crisis, so we need to do this and this and this. And embed it all in this package, give it a title, The Great Reset, and 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 brand it and, and sell it like a tube of toothpaste or something to the general public so that people start to buy into this idea and thereby you can shape the world. That's why I've talked about it before. The World Economic Forum is just repackaging various ideas for this grand narrative of a new world order, whatever you want to call it. It doesn't particularly matter the title, um, but certain titles will sell better with the public in different eras. And this may be the Great Reset. Let's try that. See if that sticks to the wall. At any rate, it is a meta-narrative that is being sold to the public right now. And in order to understand that and understand how it is that no matter how deliberately you deconstruct that meta narrative and you show all of the different pieces of it and what you know they're talking about this but they really mean this it will make zero difference whatsoever let's take a look at a specific example of that let's go back to that narrating the future video from the world economic forum that we were looking at earlier and let's look at when gergawi takes the mic and starts telling us about why we need a new great narrative we need a new great narrative because we live in the world where the richest 1% have more than double the wealth of 7 billion people. Why almost half of the world population lives under $6 a day. We need a new great narrative because the last seven years were the warmest on record. We cannot afford to waste more time on inaction or denial about the climate change. We need a new great narrative because the world has been through one of the largest economic downturn in its history. And we need a new great narrative because our digital world will be as important as the physical one. Already there are more connected devices than people in the world. And by 2025, there will be five times more devices than people in this planet. We need a new great narrative because it will inspire both hope and action. And government, first and foremost, are in the business of installing hope. 
a business that touch 7.8 billion people who strive for a better future. Do you see? Do you see what's happening? Try showing that clip to someone who doesn't already understand the way that these various terms and ideas and crises are being used to shape a particular agenda for the benefit of a select group of people, and you will be called a crazy conspiracy theorist. Because a lot of these ideas that are embedded in, well, why do we need a new great narrative, are of course pieces of the narrative that has been instilled into us, propagandized into us, since we were children. All of these sound, or are supposed to sound, like great, wonderful, caring things that loving shepherds of humanity, self-appointed leaders who are going to tell the world what to do, have, have already told us are the problems, and don't worry, we'll take care of it. So, yes, there's enormous economic inequality in the world. And, you know, the, the, the richest 50 people own more than 50% of the entire wealth of the world or whatever that stat is changing on a weekly basis. We all know that because that is an important part of what they're trying to sell us. They just never quite come out and openly state the dot, dot, dot. So you need to give us more power to better divvy up the economic resources of the world. Or, oh, the climate change, the weather gods are unhappy with the things that you, not us, you are doing to the world. Therefore, you need to give us more power to tell you what you can and cannot do with your lives. Hey, here's a new carbon ration card. Uh, the, the economic downturn, the unprecedented economic downturn that's happened during these times is a, a huge calamity. Yes, there's a lot of people losing their jobs, their livelihoods, the businesses that they've worked all their lives for. Right now, it is happening. Huge economic pain. Dot, dot, dot. So, give us more power to shape and forge a new economic system to govern the entire world. Hey, what could go wrong? Uh, the digital revolution is taking place. The, our digital lives are becoming as important as our real lives. Dot, dot, dot. So, you need to give us more power to shape the new digital environment to make it safe for you all. <laughs> you see, the, the narrative is already there and the hidden assumptions or the, the unstated conclusions of those premises are always, of course, the operative part of it. But as, as long as they can get you to under to swallow the, the hook, then the line and sinker will go along with it. And they can get it all in one fell swoop because they know how to shape a narrative. Some very brilliant people have been shaping narratives that have guided your entire meta-narrative, your story about the world and the way it works your entire life. And presumably, if you are a regular member of the Corporate Report audience, you have, to some extent, broken out of the conditioning of that meta-narrative that's been placed on you. But I guarantee, even if you are the wokest of the woke, in the awakened sense of that, I, I know all of this, I guarantee you know people who don't, who don't understand any of this, and will listen to a speech like that from someone like Gergawi and say, yeah, Sounds good. Yeah, I agree. We There is economic inequality. There is climate change. There is an economic downturn. There, uh, digital is becoming more important. Maybe we do need new problems and uh, new solutions to these old problems. New problems for old solutions. Um, so, who, and then he goes on to say, well, who will sell this narrative to the public? Who will offer them the hope? 
what who's who's what 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 body's role is to provide the, that hope to the public? Government. Yes, of course. Hopium. Let's inject it in your veins. Vote for another politician, guys. That'll be the way forward into this brave new world order. Uh, isn't that isn't that such a wonderful thing? And of course, that very accurately sums up the nature the government's role in the global public-private partnership that previous Corbett Report guest Ian Davis, I think, has quite accurately identified as the new governance paradigm for the globe. Yes, of course. Governments are there to sell you the hope that is being designed and formulated at these meetings that one person in a, a thousand, one person in a million will ever even know anything about the World Economic Forum, how it operates, oh, it has some sort of conference on grand narrative, whatever. Most people will not understand it. And so you can calmly try to explain and, uh, well, no, you see, when they talk about sustainable development, what they really mean, da-da-da, and you can list it all out and give them the facts on that. But if they have the grand narrative in their head that, well, this is good and, you know, we do need the United Nations and whoever to step in and help with this problem. And if you think that they're doing it for any purpose other than saving the world, you are a conspiracy theorist. That's the narrative in their head. Then there's there's no way of changing that with pure logic and reason. Oh, I'll give you some facts that will change your mind on that. And if you believe that, then you haven't quite understood what I've been talking about for some time now. Go back and rewatch. I keep bringing it up because it continues to be relevant. Same facts, opposite conclusions, which I talked about in Propaganda Watch last year, that you can present the exact same set of details to someone and they will see the exact opposite thing that you do in those facts about the world because they have a different perspective on it. Oh, well, you know, uh, oh, lockdowns uh, are are associated with excess deaths. Well, that that's because lockdowns are happening in places where there would have been many more deaths if there wasn't lockdowns. Whatever it is, there's always a mental pretzel knot that you can tie yourself in to make the facts fit your meta-narrative. And as another example of how our meta-narratives are shaped um, by words and terms that then become placeholders for other ideas that are never openly stated. Uh, we can see the corruption of language itself into a form of newspeak where these terms, global, sustainable development, environmentally friendly, whatever, uh, just become the terms by which entire narratives can be sold to the public. I will direct you for the second time in two weeks, I will direct you back to I am a sustainable free trade globalist, where I make that point about the corruption of the language itself and how these terms can be made radioactive by, uh, the, by, by being inserted into certain narratives that help to shape our world. So if you go back and if you did watch that Grand Theft World podcast that we opened with today, um, you will see that uh, the point came up and perhaps... Uh, it was false modesty on my part to say that I I am not actively engaged in helping to create and shape narratives. That is, of course, exactly what it is that I do at The Corporate Report. Not generally in the fiction sense of writing pieces of fiction. I do occasionally engage in that in my subscriber uh, editorials, but more. I, uh, I, I've done a couple of, for example, of interview with a coma patient and things like that that are more like a storytelling format for putting this information. But generally speaking, I'm doing it in a in a documentary style or presenting information. But that is a narrative. That is shaping people's understanding, going from here to here to here. And I spend an awful lot of time on 
thinking about, for example, how to put this particular edition of Solutions Watch together, let alone every other podcast and thing that I do. I think about, well, what's the right order to say this in? And what clip should I use? And how should I do this? And how do I put it together to make it make sense to the audience? And maybe I succeed, maybe I fail, but that is the work that I'm engaged in. And that is, I think, an extremely important thing to do. As I point out in that Grand Theft World conversation, somewhat self-reflexively, not just for helping to convey this information to others, but for understanding it for yourself. Until you put the, the data and information that you have in your head into a narrative, this, so this, therefore this, then this, when you put it into a narrative that tells a story in some sense, then you start to understand the information. Until that point is just data, it's just facts, it's just scattered information. Until you collect it, organize it, and make it into a narrative, you don't really know what it is that you know, or what you think, or what you believe, or why you're doing what you're doing. So it is an extremely important thing. We all create narratives every single day. We're just generally not conscious of it. I think we should become conscious of it. And we should actively practice this art of putting things into narrative format to help people understand something, to lead people from this to this to this so that they understand information rather than bombarding them with information. At the risk of bombarding you with information, <laughs> I think I will stop this episode here, uh, having introduced, I hope, this concept, this idea, and the incredible importance of it. This is a, a weapon that is being wielded against you so I highly suggest that it is in our interest to understand this weapon and how it is deployed and to use it defensively to help shape our own meta-narrative of what it is we want to achieve in the world and how we're going to execute that plan. That is an extremely important thing to do, and uh, we poo-poo it to our own detriment. So I will leave you today with some more words from that aforementioned How to Save the World in One Easy Step article that I wrote last year, where I concluded by saying, whoever it is that brings this message to the world, this message of a, a different way of looking at the grand, grand narrative they're shoving down her throat, and whatever form that message takes, it will appear as a revelation, as an answer that's been sitting there under our nose all along. And when that message arrives, it won't require persuasion or cajoling to convince the public to act. The story itself will compel the public into action. I know these words will fall mostly on deaf ears. One of the narratives that the narrative controllers have implanted in us is that words are meaningless and only the armed heroics of some steroid-laden, gun-toting Rambo can save us from the bad guys. But those who have really studied history know better. They understand that ideas and stories are the only things that have ever changed the world. James Corbett, CorbettReport.com.